Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into last week's Movies at the Theater in today's Reviews episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. doing just a single review episode for Mother in place of this episode, but I ultimately decided... But I ultimately decided that I think that is a movie better left uh, shrouded in mystery before you go see it than, than giving anything away in it at all. And so checked out a couple of movies that I'd seen in the past week or so, and uh, yeah, I think there's enough here to kind of touch on some of the newer releases and, and movies that are out there right now, maybe help you avoid some of them additionally. Before uh, I really dive into that, though, I wanted to bring something up that I've, I've seen. It's happening at my local AMC, and it should be happening at most AMCs uh, across the country, I believe, um, I think so. Uh, I'm not sure just how widespread this deal is. A deal is not really the right term, but but this this special. They're playing the original, uh, 1993, uh, Beauty and the Beast movie, the animated one, the best picture nominated. A one. Let's see here. Ninety-one. I'm sorry, not ninety-three. Ninety-one. And over the next month and a half or so, uh, they're going to be playing a different Disney movie every week. As well as AMC, and so there's going to be Princess and the Frog, Tangled. Or at least at this AMC, um, so I'm I'm really excited about that. Like I'm gonna go see them. You know, they're I'm thanks to Movie Pass one, they're basically free, and two, there isn't enough there aren't enough movies out there right now uh, that I that I need to watch that I'm gonna you know that I, I can't afford to go rewatch something at the theater, especially something like Beauty and the Beast, which I've never seen at the theater before. I was way too young when it first came out. So, yeah, like, right now, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Mother, an American Assassin today, and there's, <laughs> around me, there's, other than Beauty and the Beast, going to see Beauty and the Beast, there's only one other movie that I have to see that I haven't seen before, like, Thursday or Friday. So I, I'm just, you know, what, what better way to spend no money and basically just enjoying a movie that I really haven't seen. You know, I've only seen Beauty and the Beast a couple of times and it's it's not it's quite quite a bit. So, moving into today's reviews, uh, we're going to talk about four movies today. Uh, so. This hopefully will be a little bit shorter than the last reviews episode. 
but you never know. It depends how the conversation leads itself. Uh, the movies we'll talk about are Home Again, starring Reese Witherspoon, 9-11, Brian. At least three of these are going to be out at your local movie theaters, I would assume. Uh, 9-11 may or may not be. It's very possible that it has already been left, left the theater circuit at this point, which would not surprise me. But I'll put off my 9-11 my hate, is that appropriate to say, uh, until, until we get to that movie. So first up is Home Again. Uh, Home Again is directed by Haley Myers Shire, who is a Reese Witherspoon, Nat Wolf, Michael Sheen, Lake Bell, Candace Bergen, and a couple of other 20-something, young 20-somethings. Uh, letterbox synopsis reads, Life for a single mom in Los Angeles takes an unexpected turn when she allows three young guys to move in with her. Seems kind of silly, and it is. It's not exactly, you know, I would never, you know, it's not exactly high art. I haven't really, I wouldn't really. But it's got a little bit of charm in it, to be fair. You know, Reese Witherspoon coming off of uh, Big Little Lies, I think, is years or so, and uh, most of the rest of the cast are the ones that are good. I generally have small roles, like Candace Bergen, Lake Bell, Michael Sheen. Don't fine they're all fine like they don't ruin the movie they don't take you out of it and then the three the three young guys that come and live with her nat wolf pico alexander and john rudnitsky uh, according to letterbox this is john rudnitsky's first film and i thought he was good i liked him he was a fun nice character guy uh, nat wolf was good i think he was fine as well pico alexander this is this is the fourth film i've seen pico alexander in i saw him previously year in indignation which was really good i don't remember him from it and this year's netflix film war machine which i don't remember him from and wow he is absolutely awful he is the worst not just his character his character is a terrible character but i think his like acting he doesn't bring anything to the table he is just Essentially seems to have only been cast for his looks, which in my opinion are like not even like like he's on par with Nat Wolf. I don't know why Nat Wolf didn't get his role and they couldn't have made Pico Alexander like non-existent. Like I think it would have been better if it was two young guys that moved in with her and they got rid of the Pico Alexander character altogether. And if they needed more inciting action, like give it to Nat Wolf or John Rudnitsky. They're far better equipped and far more talented. As far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, the general conceit, like, uh, Reese Witherspoon, technically still married to Michael Sheen. They're separated. She moves to LA. He's still in New York. And 
these three guys are trying to make a movie and have no money. They're pitching their movie. They've got a uh, they've got a, a director producer on board to try and fund this movie. They're tr- this feature they're trying to make. But in the meantime, they're out drinking and celebrating, and they run into Reese Witherspoon and her uh, friends, and they get to talking. They hang out, and the three guys end up like crashing at Reese Witherspoon's house. Uh, she and Pico Alexander have a particularly close encounter, although nothing actually happens. And then in the morning, they're like about to leave, and one of the guys, John Rudzinski's character, discovers that Reese Witherspoon is actually the daughter of an acclaimed auteur director, and Reese Witherspoon's mother, Candace. who starred in a lot of uh, her husband's films. So, her ex-husband, the, the, the Reese Witherspoon's father is dead. So, uh, so, so they're like geeking out about it. They're blowing, their minds are just blown about this circumstantial, the circumstances surrounding this realization. And suffice to say, Candace Bergen basically strong arms Reese Witherspoon into letting them stay in their guest house with their with the daughters and uh, the daughter and uh and walking them in walking them into their life you know that part of the movie i actually enjoy like the element of these guys ingratiating themselves into this woman's life and like, there's so many ways to make this kind of a movie and it, for it to go basically go like straw dogs or something to that effect and it never does and I'm really glad it doesn't. I think it works when it just has like these guys and like the family kind of interacting and trying to work together. But you can't do that, and like that's not a movie because there's no drama, there's no rising and falling action. And so you know you re-enter Michael Sheen in the picture. You give Reese Witherspoon a, a struggling career with Lake Bell employing her, who is Lake Bell must have had a ton of fun with this part. It, she looked. Like she had great a great time playing that role, and then you further complicate things by it ultimately becomes so much less than I think it could have been. I think I don't know. I wish. I wish that Reese Witherspoon's like solo arc in the story didn't involve this like weird not co- connected to anything else in the movie job that she has. Like if she's going to give her something to do on her own, make it something that's going to work with these guys that enter her life or her ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband or her daughter or something along those lines. It does not connect to anything. I think the payoff for it is one, Lake Bell, fine, and two, like a scene toward the end of the movie. She's like an interior direct- decorator, and there's a scene towards the movie, towards the end of the movie, where she just like happens to offhandedly comment to these three guys who've now left her, uh, her house, and she's like, do you, she brings them flowers, and she's like, do you guys even have a vase to put these in? And they're like, no. And she's like, well, first thing we got to do is get you guys a vase, like. 
she doesn't need to be an interior decorator to make that line work i don't think i mean maybe they don't even like weren't even considering that as a connection because it's not but uh, i don't know it's 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 not it's not a good movie not a good movie so home again i gave this movie a 25 so just shy of awful like like i said there are a couple of moments that i actually kind of liked you know i think nat wolf and john Rinsky were very good but everything else really drags this movie down for reference however so this movie came out a week and a half ago roughly and according to Letterboxd, it has currently been logged and watched by 603 people. And maybe that's, I don't know if that number includes rewatches. I think it just includes members. So 603 members on Letterboxd have seen Home Again. That's uh, okay, you know, but it's, it's really not. Because if you compare it to another movie that came out the exact same time, and I guess this is just kind of like beating a dead horse but comparing it to the movie it it has been seen by over 25,000 people on letterboxd in the same span of time so in about what 10 days since it came out i believe officially came out 10 days ago so roughly 2,500 people on letterboxd a day for it and roughly 60 people a day on letterboxd for home again not a good movie uh, I, I'm I'm glad you know I, I do kind of like Reese Witherspoon most of the time, but I, I think meh she she doesn't I don't think she's like the most the most talented person out there, and I'm I'm less than I'm not upset to like have her score drop on my spreadsheet because of this movie, and the same would eventually. I was kind of upset by Nat Wolf losing some points on this, but then I watched Death Note, and it didn't bother me at all. I think Lake Bell is my my biggest casualty here, because I do like Lake Bell a lot. Uh, so, Home Again, 25, our first movie. Then You might not have even heard of this movie. <laughs> it is... Uh, directed by Martin Gugi, Gui Gui, G-U-I-G-U-I, and stars Charlie Sheen, Whoopi Goldberg, Louise Guzman, Gina Gershon, Wood Harris, Bruce Davison. So, you know, it's, it's, man, it's, it's a compilation of actors who aren't really in the conversation anymore about anything it's it's and and it's about subject matter that's incredibly like melodramatic and you know just kind of trying to make you react just inertly or innately rather uh so so letterbox's description a group of five people find themselves trapped in an elevator in the world trade center's north tower on 9 11 they work together, never, give, never giving up hope to try to escape before the unthinkable happens. So let me pitch how this movie could possibly work in any sort of way. Instead of 
Charlie Sheen, Luis Guzman, Gina Gershon, Wood Harris, and I believe Fawn A. Chamber- Chambers is the, f- yeah, Fawn A. Chambers. Those are the five people trapped in the elevator. Get rid of all of them. Replace them with actors who have careers. This doesn't have to be a movie headlined by a Tom Cruise. Like, it just needs five people who aren't over the hill, in a sense. Like, we need someone to replace Gina Gershon, whose face actually has emotions. Uh, Replace Charlie Sheen with someone who knows how to act. Um, Give, you know, Luis Guzman and Wood Harris and Fawny Chambers can go to, like, three unknowns or, like, three budding... Uh, 20-something-year-olds who are on the cusp of having careers, like, that's fine. Absolutely terrible dialogue. So, this is probably the most egregious part. It happens very early in the movie before anything, like, dramatic takes place. Uh, We're introduced to Charlie Sheen and Gina Gershon's characters. They are a married couple who are in the process of filing for divorce. Charlie Sheen doesn't want divorce yet, and Gina Gershon was trying to push for the divorce. Bruce Davison is one, is Gina Gershon's lawyer, who literally is there for one scene. I think he might maybe there for two scenes. And at one point, Charlie Sheen requests that the lawyers leave the room. Hem, hemming and hawing, they finally do. And Gina Gershon looks at him, and she says something to the effect of, you know, this is just like you, waiting until the ninth hour. And Charlie Sheen... I rolled my eyes so hard, and I would have completely... Awkwardly, they worked in a 9-11 reference that early in the movie, and how sloppily... movie is just so bad on so many levels that I couldn't help but stifle half a dozen to maybe maybe like dozens of chuckles throughout the time throughout the whole movie uh, a couple other things I like took notes on while I was watching it uh, one of the first conversations between Luis Guzman and Whoopi Goldberg deals with Yankees and Mets trash talk has to happen for a New York movie there are pretty lowbrow uh, fat jokes directed at Luis Guzman's character and then Charlie Sheen and Gina Gershon have a son uh, who is back at home with, I think, Gina Gershon's mother while they're in the elevator. And man, that might be some of the worst child acting I've ever seen. It is terrible. You know, like, child actors, they're really hit and miss on, to begin with. And, you know, this one kind of creates a whole new category for child actors, in my opinion. He's so bad. And then the last thing I took notes on is, so there's these five people trapped in the elevator. Uh, Charlie Sheen is, I would, I would say, like average shape, average build for a guy his age. Uh, Wood Harris is tall and probably pretty strong. And Gina Gershon and Fawnay Chambers, while probably not like stacked and muscly, are generally tiny and probably 
way less than the two men I've named already. And then the last guy is Luis Guzman, who, you know, there were fat jokes aimed at, aimed at him earlier in the movie, and yet every time they need to boost someone up to a higher point in the elevator, they always choose Luis Guzman. Every single time. And, like, his character is a janitor in the building, or, like, custodial engineer, but, I mean, like, he does not do a single thing that couldn't have been done by any of the other characters. You know, it's not that difficult to try to open up a hatch at the top of the elevator. He's the only one that could have done these things, which is absolute bullshit. And I, I don't I don't buy it for a second. But it's just really stupid and really frustrating. I don't I don't understand it whatsoever. And so those are pretty much the only things I put in my Levine actually commented on the review and reminded me of another part of the another line in the movie that Charlie Sheen says that's awful. Uh, so he's trying to like lighten the mood with a joke, and his joke is they wanted, he was like going to the doctors and the doctors I said, take my underwear. It's like, what? Like, what is, I don't know what this movie is. It's not a tastefully done drama about the attacks on 9-11. It's not a confined space drama that's any way, shape, or form good. Uh, you know, there's another, which re that reminded me of another line when I saw it from Charlie Sheen. He's talking to Wood Harris, who's a bike messenger. And he says, did you hear the one about the rich guy that hired a bike messenger? And Wood Harris' character says, no. And Charlie Sheen says, now you have. And I don't know what that's supposed to signi signify because it's not a joke. None of the characters laugh. It doesn't mean anything because I don't know. But, like, the movie plays it off as, like, there's this big revelation that happens, and these characters have now been changed forever for the better, and they'll be happy for the rest of their lives. I, I don't get so, so then, So then you have Whoopi Goldberg's character. She's the elevator operator who occasionally is able to communicate with the five trapped in there. But more often than not, is kind of just sitting behind a, uh, a board of lights and buttons trying to act like she knows what she's doing there and doesn't. So there's no kind of redeeming quality there. Uh, she has... There's a point where the elevator drops... the second tower and the elevator that they're in crashes and she's she's kind of like monologuing to to the people in the elevator not necessarily sure if they're listening or not and she brings back this thing that's referenced a couple times in the movie about the fact that uh, Louis
and yet, oh man, and yet she's talking about how like she has to leave, like they're forcing her to get out of there, it's no longer safe for her to stay, she's like Oscar winning performance or anything, but like nice moment, I'll give it that. But she has to throw in this line where she says, uh, what, what's the Lucy Goose character? She says, she says, paying me back or something along those lines. I don't know. She probably doesn't say shitty, but like, uh, what? I, I don't know why you would even like bring that up in the first place, let alone you know I, I i don't know what that serves i don't know what that gets anybody it's it's very very weird and i i just think it has no place in this movie none of this stuff has place in this movie and so 9-11 i gave it a zero i I'm, i wasn't even gonna mess around with this movie zero it is so bad and so terrible and it just completely ending is god awful don't go watch it um i'm gonna i'm gonna spoil the ending for you so if you did want to go watch it like skip ahead 50 seconds 25 seconds i don't know uh the final scene shows this fire firefighter trying to get charlie sheen who's the last person left in the elevator out he's on top of the elevator in the shaft and he's trying to pull Charlie Sheen out. He can't. Charlie Sheen is too heavy or the guy's too weak, whatever. And this, <laughs> the film fades to black as the building, they start to hear the building crumble around them. This smile of acceptance. Like, like, like he's Christ on the cross. And I just... Oh man, it it is just so bad and so manipulative and disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> it's so stupid. It is so stupid. It's is a garbage movie and I don't even think like, it's not even worthy of being in, like, the Razzies, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So, 9-11, give it a zero. Second film of the episode. Don't go see it. Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, Brian Gleason, Donald Gleason, Stephen McCaddy, Kristen Wiig, uh, among others. And Darren Aronofsky, I'm generally pretty favorable on. Uh, my favorite film of his to date is The Wrestler. I think uh, it's it's really great. I love Mickey Rourke in it. And I it just edges out Black Swan for me. And I think... I think Black Swan is fantastic too. I love Requiem for a Dream. I think Pie's really good. And I think for me, he's 
generally I'm so, he's a director that I'm very interested in whose whose work I'm excited for. And Mother is some one such film. I was very excited for the movie. I was very perplexed and slowly I was able to like kind of piece together what was happening, what was going on, where the thing this thing was leading you. And it just kept surprising me and impressing me. Not just on more so on a technical level than anything else. I think Aaron Al- think that the as allegorical as the film is, it's not like I don't know, I, I found it like a, a very interesting and visceral take on the, the the message he was trying to send. And I, I think the camera work and the set, the the sort of uh, I think I have it let's see, I think it's the tactile effects. Let's see here. effects special effects are just perfect I, I never didn't believe what I believe Aronofsky wanted me to believe if that makes sense so what I guess I mean by that house this house that you see in this tra- in the trailers uh, it's this octagonal shaped house that's I think three stories with a basement and you know it has that staircase that wraps around that huge that huge room in the center of the house that opening into it and you've got a room off every single side which is very it's it's in a very unusual shape when you look at conventional housing today as I've ever been to but at the same time you know this doesn't seem like a house that you can afford on you know the average person's uh, income so maybe my friends just didn't have enough money to afford such a thing either way the house is brilliant the whole film is shot in the same set uh, so they didn't like green screen the set itself which i really appreciated and just Jennifer Lawrence around through all the rooms, following Javier Bardem, trying to track where characters are at any given point, is not as easy as it feels like it should be. Uh, you know, more than one occasion, I thought that we were entering some such and such a person's room, and we were actually and en- like entering a completely different room. And I, I think. How grotesque and personable this film is. So the entire movie is all about Lawrence and all about what she represents and signifies and her relationship to all of the other characters. And you get the sense early on that she is powerless, I, I suppose, there are moments in the movie where she clearly can control 
things around her. And yet the entire movie, she is constantly watching Bardem take her for, take her, take advantage of her, you know, watching all these, like every, having any say in the matter people just kind of ignore her when she gives their gives them instructions and tells them what to do and warns them about this that and the other thing and i found all of that very compelling and when you see the movie and you really begin to understand what it's trying to tell you uh, i think you know i i'm not the best at, at context clues and, and understanding I was able to pick out the central conceit that this movie is trying to present. And upon like learning more about the movie post seeing it, and the the messages that he was really trying to send to to his viewers, his fans, who whoever's going to see this. And so all that being said, uh there are a lot of people that don't like this movie for good reason. There are some incredibly incredibly graphic moments in the last act of the movie uh resulting in some of the truly most horrifying things I've ever seen in a movie. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, creepy-ass Pennywise hiding in a sewer. Like, that's, you know, him opening his mouth and revealing, like, 30 sets of teeth. That's not real. But, and, and obviously, while, like, a lot of this movie is far from reality as well, the actual actions that are being taken... do happen far more often than I believe anyone thinks they do and are and like happening once is is more often than they should have ever happened ever for as far as I'm concerned and it's very very scary and you feel every single thing in that sequence and I'm being I'm being purposely vague because if you haven't seen it there's a chance that knowing about this would put you off going to see the movie, potentially. I don't want to do that because I think it is worth seeing. Really difficult to watch and it sticks with you long after you've seen it, but it's also so well done and Jennifer Lawrence is so great in all of this, in the whole movie, that I just, I can't, I could not look away from that scene and any of the scenes. Like, there's, it's not just that scene. There's many scenes towards the end of the movie that are very difficult to watch. And I found Aronofsky's direction and and just the the way that these scenes are constructed and laid out in front of us to be very, very 
compelling as and i i was impressed i was very impressed by by what he was able to do with this movie and so so for me like i mentioned a movie that i think is <laughs> i think better than it has a higher score than all other movies than the other three movies i'm going to talk about on this episode combined which you know how hard can that be when 9-11 has a zero but i gave it an 82 so you know it's not the highest movie on my list this year and i don't even think i'm looking at this right it's not you know it doesn't even make my top 10 right now uh, but it does make a big impact on the circle of film awards so uh, mother comes in with a best director nomination uh, taking out I believe who maybe it's ooh, I think it might be get out loses a, its best director nomination for it and then uh, let's see mother takes a female lead for Jennifer Lawrence which knocks off let's see Not sure. It might have been a single character or a single nomination of a movie that I got rid of. Because I don't see what it would have been. Oh, a ghost story. A ghost story lost. Uh, no, ghost story is supporting female. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who lost that. I have to look on. Actually, I guess I can look here and it'd be a lot easier where it actually tells me. And I don't know if I just kind of guess. Circle of Film Awards on the website um lily collins to the bone uh, loses her spot to uh, perhaps mm, far more impressed with this than i was with her in <laughs> that i think that uh, Ampus is going to be really negative on this movie as a whole. I wish she was in the conversation at least. Uh, I'm also giving it a tactile nomination, tactile effects nomination, and it's taking that spot from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast drops down to a single nomination for original song at this point. Uh, I'm also giving it a best special effects nomination which I am taking away from uh, Wonder Woman. Taking away Wonder Woman's special effects nomination for this movie. And finally, best scene. Uh, I'll be honest, it's the scene towards the end of the movie, and it's, it's tough to kind of like cut that scene apart into sizable enough chunks where I can call it a scene and not be like, 30 minutes of the movie so i'm not sure where that ends and begins it definitely includes the parts i was like kind of alluding to and wasn't being specific about and that takes a spot from uh, dunkirk it takes the opening sequence from dunkirk out of that list lineup so
with Dunkirk, A Ghost Story, and Logan. Big Six still has six spots. Rest have three apiece. John Wick Chapter 2, Atomic Blonde, Wonder Woman, and Wind River each get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, It, Okja, Beauty and the Beast, Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, The Beguiled, Chasing Coral, and Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets with one each. So, uh, that, leave, that gives us currently 25 movies nominated in this year's Circle of Film Awards compared to 29 from last year. So, things are starting to spread out a little bit as, as the year, as the weeks pass by and that is mother 82 darren aronofsky number three today all right our final film today is american assassin american assassin directed by michael cuesta uh this is the second michael cuesta film i've seen the first is lie which stands for long island expressway uh, which I really like. I think it's a really good movie starring Paul Dano. But American Assassin. Taylor Kitsch, Scott Adkins, among others. And trying to be like some sort of born... A movie with like a Tom Cruise thing, uh, you know, or you know, it, it's got parallels to Atomic Blonde from earlier this summer, which is far, far, far superior. And uh, yeah, so it's it's not going to do anything special. You probably show up for Michael Keaton or Dylan O'Brien. I think Keaton's good. I think Dylan O'Brien's fine. I, uh, I say in my review on Letterboxd that I think Dylan O'Brien could have a future as an action star in the next couple of years. I think he's got the chops for it. And it seemed like he did most of his own stunts here, at least uh, as far as the combat, hand-to-hand combat goes. And that looked really good from my point of view. Uh, Taylor Kitsch, who I've never really been a fan of, gives a okay performance in this. And then the supporting female characters are not really noteworthy because the movie doesn't care about them anyway. So it's mostly Dylan O'Brien and Michael Keaton with a little bit of Taylor Kitsch thrown in there. And like I said, he's fine. The effects in the movie are sometimes good, sometimes real bad. And you've, this is a plot that you've seen a lot of many times over. You know, it's, it's very contrived. And it's not reinventing the wheel, but it doesn't, it, it never really ruins your life, I guess. Like, I, it's not gonna, I don't know, it's, it's on par, I think it's a little better, actually, than last year's Jason Bourne. And, you know, Matt Damon is a far superior actor than Dylan O'Brien, but... So, for me, I gave it two stars, which equates 
I'm sorry, I gave it one and a half stars, which equates to a, a 30. A 30. And yeah, that's fine. It's it's totally watchable, but it's not gonna it's nothing to write home about. I don't even think you should even worry about going out and seeing it. It's not super important. Assassin is doing twice as well at the box office, which for Fantasy Movie League I'm very happy about since I played five screens of it. But uh, yeah, I, I it's a shame that to say there isn't much else going on here. I think probably the highlight of this movie are the training sequences with Michael Keaton and Dylan O'Brien because they felt really unique to me. Um, it wasn't like a, just a montage sequence of O'Brien learning how to like fight. He actually was like, I don't know, you just you, you just had these weird training sequences that I think with Keaton's overall sensibilities and control of the off from this type type of learning sequences uh particularly like they're out in the woods i think this is part of part of the scenes in the trailer uh, keaton throws a knife to o'brien has him try to kill him and you know keaton easily is able to overwhelm o'brien in this circumstance but then he has o'brien and uh, scott adkins characters fight each other and they fight and uh, almost imperceptibly imperceptibly uh, Keaton nods to a th a third person and has him start to attack Dylan O'Brien uh, out of nowhere. But then Keaton steps in and like punches one of the other punches. I think Scott Atkins character in the face mid fight, like comes out of nowhere with that. And he then pulls out a gun and fires it right next to Dylan O'Brien's head. And he just, he creates this chaotic atmosphere that I actually really, that it really did uh but but that those sequences themselves i thought were very interesting and, and highly rewarding contained within themselves so american assassin I'm, uh, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can check out more about the podcast, the show, me, the spreadsheet, or any of the other things that you think are important. You can probably find that stuff at circlefilm.com. And if you are feeling uh, especially benevolent and want to support the show in any way shape or form uh, check out patreon.com slash circle film for potential who knows uh, otherwise thank you so much for listening and as always have a week so long farewell i'll be the same tonight i know she'll never leave
Spinning. So long.